and in many ways the, the talk this evening is, is really a continuation uh, of kind of the theme of, of this retreat, the theme that we've been exploring and looking at from different angles over the days. And so when we, when we open our eyes and, and practice retreat is really, really a precious opportunity for that to happen, when we open our eyes to see our experience, when we open our eyes and look at, at our lives, you know, our personal lives, our moment-to-moment experience, as well as at the world we share, you know, just being here over the days with so much nature around looking at the lives of all the creatures around us. One of the primary things we meet is, is uncertainty. Or, you know, you can call it impermanence, or we could call it change. Or we can call it the unreliability of things. And in many ways, you know, this is, of course, something we all know. You know, I'm not surprising you here. I don't think anyone's shocked at this, at this statement. And yet, you know, we know it. We stop, we recognize it. And so much of the time, we're actually carrying on living our lives as if we didn't as if we didn't know this. So really looking at life, at the state of the planet, at the state of our society, this post-Brexit period we're living in is a great teaching in that. Really, uncertainty, you know? Sorry to bring it in. <laughs> but it's so pertinent to what we're doing here. It's so pertinent to what I'm speaking about. How, you know, just one thing, one day. And reality changes from the known to the unknown. And that, in this case, it's it's very pertinent because this unknown is going to last for quite a while. We're learning to live with that. Similarly, the exercise we did today, you know, looking at death, you know, the uncertainty of, this, of the life of this organism. It's really there, everywhere, staring us in the face. And the question that, that arises is, what do we do? What do we do with this? What do we do with this fact of life? And when we ask that question, it's also important to acknowledge the, the messages that are common around us in our society about what to do with this fact of life. You know, the messages are ignore deny, run away from, 
search for security as hard as you can. Search for security as hard as you can. You know, buy this, eat that, stay away from those people or those things. And it's all, it comes in all kinds of guises, in all kinds of ways, it forms. But it's a very, very strong message. And so it's important to acknowledge what are these messages, what are these um, strategies that were being offered, and to question whether they work. Are they helpful? Or do they actually increase suffering? Do they actually increase our suffering as well as the suffering in the world? Sometimes it's very clear to see. Consumer society increases suffering in the world. I don't know if anyone's come across this fact, but if, if all human beings lived like we live in the developed world, we would need to think, I can't remember what it is, one and a half planets, two planets? It's probably growing at a great degree, the amount of planets that we would need in order to be sustainable. So clearly that message of feed that sense of lack, find security in things, is creating suffering, and also to us personally. What we're doing is constantly searching for security, searching for ground in a situation which is essentially groundless and uncertain. Then we keep falling flat on our faces. We keep being disappointed. We keep putting our energy into what doesn't help. So another way of looking at it is to actually accept the fact that this uncertainty, this unreliability, this changeability, impermanence is at the core of being a human being. It's it's the essence of being alive. It's kind of it's here to stay. It's here to stay. And the Zen teacher Suzuki Roshi apparently said, I was thinking about that in relation to, um, I think Jean yesterday quoted a, a, something she said, um, was attributed to Nelson Mandela. And I sometimes I think, you know, I see in a book a quote attributed to something, somebody, and then I quote that, so <laughs> you can see the chains. So apparently Suzuki Roshi said this, and he said, Life is like stepping into a boat that is about to sail out to sea and sink. <laughs> that's, that's life. You know, as Jean was saying today, death is certain. The boat is going to sink someday. Another, this is, um, this I actually heard Joseph Goldstein say, so I know that he said it. <laughs> is his definition of impermanence, which I dearly love. He says, anything can happen at any time. Mm. You know, that's uncertainty. That's impermanence. Anything can happen at any time. You know, we can define that happening as good, as bad, 
is what we want, is what we don't want. But the important thing is that anything can happen anytime. So the invitation of Dharma teachings is to stop running away from, to stop denying, to stop suppressing, to stop putting all our energies into searching for security. And to actually turn towards, as Jim was saying yesterday, again and again, very clearly, to turn towards our lives fully, which includes this, anything can happen at any time. And I think I, I said this this morning about a lot of things for me are quite kinetic, and so I find actually the embodied, the embodied sense of that very helpful. You know, that what we normally do is we're running, or we're avoiding, or we're looking somewhere. But what is it to just stand our ground, you know, have our feet on the earth and face this insecurity, face this uncertainty? And what that actually allows is it allows us to live fully because we're actually present with our lives in their entirety. It's living life fully in the knowledge that death is certain, in the knowledge that things are uncertain and unreliable. It's like having... Joanna Macy, the American teacher, she says, it's like living life, in, living, facing this, facing it heads on, head on. It's like having it as a backdrop, you know, as a view. It's like we're looking at what is, and the view behind is of uncertainty. And it opens us to the gifts. Because there are gifts. I think that Joseph Goldstein line already gives us that sense of the gifts. So she also says, this is a quote from Joanna Macy, she says, when we face the mess that is uncertainty, I, I really like her language, when we face the mess that is uncertainty, that is the state of our world with all its injustice, cruelty, suffering, we know the future is uncertain. And we also know that what we do, how we approach this uncertainty is a matter of choice. So facing it, looking at it, turning towards it, Remembering anything can happen at any time actually offers us possibilities. It opens up a range. It connects us to the limitless quality of life and of our own being. And I was really struck today by that last question that Jean asked us that we didn't actually write in response. It really points to this. You know, what am I willing to do? What am I willing to do to, to die in the way I want to die? <coughs> and 
as people were saying <coughs> as we were sharing, that is very much about how how I'm choosing to live. So how I will die is connected to how I'm choosing to live. So when we open to uncertainty, when we face it, it's very much what we're doing here over the days here. We also open to what's possible. We open to potential. We open to the limitless. So when we acknowledge that the future is undecided, unknown, and to a great degree uncontrollable, there is also room for us to play a role in how it unfolds. And this is a very interesting place. It's not in our control. It's uncertain. But, not in our control, but we have a role. Yeah, we have an impact. What we do, how we do it, matters. I was reading something that um, someone wrote who had uh, done a lot of work with... um, with people with addictions and recovery, a lot of group work. And he wrote that what he found was really interesting was that if people came to the process of recovery certain that they were going to do it, (laughs) or if they came to the process of recovery pretty sure that they were going to fail, both those cases, they were less likely to succeed. But those who came with a sense of not knowing were the ones that were more likely to get through that process. That was his experience. Those that came with a sense of not knowing, (coughs) of openness and possibility. I find that really interesting. Of course, you know, that was his experience. But that sense of being an open canvas. And when we think about our own experience, sometimes not knowing what the outcome will be of something that we're involved in, something that we're doing. You know, even if we look just a few days ago, coming here, <laughs> and not knowing what this was going to be. And I think some people have voiced it already in different ways, and I'm sure this was quite a common experience of feeling like, oh God, you know, <laughs> maybe I should cancel or whatever. And that sense of apprehension. But with that sense of apprehension, they stay steady with that. There can also be a great openness, a great possibility of not knowing. And what that brings about in us is some kind of a mobilizing of our energy. So when we're on that edge in an unknown situation, often, you know, we're not in the groove, we're not in the comfort zone. We're not doing what we're good at. And that brings presence. You know, it gathers us. And we get in touch, or we can get in touch with our resources, with our intentions, with our aspirations, and also with our goodness and our goodwill. And more and more with meta practice. This is an aside, but I find the word goodwill and really resonate with that, with the meta practice. So that sense of, of goodwill, of really wanting 
things to be well for ourselves, for others. And so this opening to the unknown, being on that edge, also really brings us into contact with the present, with what is actually here and now. With our heart, our body, our mind. And kind of can escape less. And this being with what is present doesn't mean that we lose contact with the past or the future. And it's not that they disappear or that they don't matter. It's more that we're firmly grounded in what is, what is right now, as part of an ongoing flow. So we're here grounded, not separate from past or future, but part of a flow. Flow that doesn't have a beginning or an end. And it can be interesting to then look at our choices, at our actions, as a bridge to the future. What we do, how we do it, it helps shape the future. Again, not absolutely, it's not an absolute but it has a place. This is a quote attributed to Gandhi, which I'm pretty sure is a misquote, um, but it's very famous. Um, Be the change you wish to see in the world. And you know, that it really gives us that flavor. That what we, what we do, how we do it, creates this bridge to the future, can contribute to the creation of, of the kind of world we, love, we want to live in. I was reminded today in the sharing uh, at the end of the exercise, um, a memory came up of um, a death that had a very strong impact on me, and um, this was the um, death of um, a family friend, so a bit younger than my parents, but his children the same age as me. And um, he was pretty young, he was only around 60, and uh, had a heart attack. But it wasn't immediate, so there was just a few, um, a very brief time that he had, and he was at home with his wife, and started feeling unwell, and she could suddenly see that something was not, not right, and she, she rushed to him, and he, he said three things. He said, I love you, I'm dying, call an ambulance, and that was it. And it had such an impact on me. Because, you know, in that moment of death, the clarity, the clarity of what was important, I love you, the most important thing to say, and then what is happening, I'm dying, and then what you need to do, because you're probably completely freaking out, is call an ambulance. That clarity 
And when I spoke to, to his wife and to his children, they said how powerful that was and how as terrible and painful and early and unexpected this death was, how that, those few seconds, how, what a difference they made to the experience of the loss and the grief. What a difference they made to them to know that he was present, to know that he knew what was happening, to know that he loved them, which they knew. But just that, that difference. So that kind of, that bridge into the future, that effect. And, you know, where does it come from? I mean, yeah, he was an incredibly good person, but would you have known if you had been asked before that those would have been things that he would have said in that moment? Probably not. And yet at the same time, a life of goodness, a life of love, So that understanding, that acknowledgement, that the choices we make, the actions we make, how we do things, that's a bridge into the future, it has an effect. And at the same time, this is the beauty, the teaching of uncertainty, without attachment to results. So not being fixated on how things are going to look. Staying open in the unknown. And again, this is a story from Joanna Macy. She was traveling in Tibet and she came across um, a group of monks that were rebuilding their monastery. The monastery had been destroyed by the Chinese. Possibly more than once, I can't remember the story. But they, there they were. And they're working, physically working, to rebuild the monastery. And she asked them, well, how can you know? You know, you're going to put all this work, you're you know, building this monastery again. How do you know that the Chinese authorities aren't going to come and destroy your monastery again? And they said, we don't. We don't know that that won't happen. You know, there's no way for us to know. But if we don't do it, if we don't rebuild the monastery, it's not going to get rebuilt. So we have to do it. And then we don't know what the future will bring. There could be a fire, there could be a natural disaster. But if we don't do it, it's not going to get done. And in a way, this is you know, such an important message of uncertainty to us. Things are uncertain. There's no guarantees. And we don't know what the results of our actions will be. But we have to do. If we don't, things won't happen. In the leprosy community that I've spoken about, a couple of times. There used to be a, a young 
a beautiful young woman called Jyoti, who had very, very severe, um, very severe arthritis. And she was only um, in her 20s. But because of this very severe arthritis, she was completely um, paralyzed. She would lie in bed, well, not completely paralyzed, but she would lie in bed like this on her back. And so because of her condition, she was in the old people's home. And coming there every year and meeting her, people in our group would be completely, um, would be so deeply touched by her and by her condition. Something about seeing a very young woman, very, very radiant. Her name, Jyoti, means light. Very radiant being, lying in that situation. Um, and her carers were elderly leprosy patients themselves, so not exactly able-bodied. And so every year, there would be um, great heartbreak in, in the group, especially one friend who, who would come regularly, about her situation and the fact that in the 11 months of the year that we're not there, the level of care that she was receiving was, was very, very insufficient. And so every year, our friend Dave, he would do everything he could to try and find a permanent solution. So, you know, to get a better wheelchair, to um, find, hire someone as a carer, to find someone in the community that would be more able-bodied, you know, and we would really try really hard, year after year, to find a solution. And every year we'd think, ah, we're getting there, we're getting there, we're getting there. And then a short time before we would leave, it would all tumble down and collapse for various reasons. And after a couple of years, Dave said, you know, I know that it's probably pointless. I know that we're going to do go through this whole thing again. We're going to put all this energy, all this time, all this effort. And then right before we leave, it's all going to collapse again. But I've just got to keep trying. Just got to keep trying. And so we, we, we did. Yeah, we would. And just this last work retreat, when we were there in December and January, we actually managed to, to train one of the women to use this, this new wheelchair that had been bought um, by Dave and some others, which really revolutionized Jyoti's life. And we left kind of knowing that We'd succeeded in training, but still not sure what was going to happen once we weren't there. And then just a month ago, we received an email that Jyoti had died. 
27. And when we were kind of reflecting on memories we, we had of her, and this also has come up today in relation to, to death, it seemed that she had stopped eating, which has ha- had happened before. She'd stopped eating. And it was very hot. It was about 47 degrees Celsius. And so the body just gave up. And our friends in the community told us it was very peaceful. But Dave remembered another time when she had stopped eating when we were there. And he said to her, but Jyoti, you know, you've got to eat, otherwise you die. And she said, well, that's not so bad. If I die, I'll be with God. Don't worry, Father. She used to call him Father. Don't worry, Father. If I die, I'll be with God. And again, that, you know, probably two, three years later, her saying that, really supporting him to to be with the grief. So with the uncertainties we face, we need a, a strength of intention. Strength of intention. Very much like that of those Tibetan monks. A strength of intention. Therefore, we'll do what needs to be done. We'll leave the rest in in God's hands. It's a saying in some religious tradition. I'm not sure which one. Maybe in Muslim, in the in Islam, we'll do what needs to be done, and the rest is up to Allah. And in the Buddhist tradition, this kind of intention that has this power is called bodhicitta. So Jean mentioned citta yesterday. It's the word for mind-heart. Bodhicitta, body is awakened. And bodhicitta is that wish or that intention to alleviate suffering. The wish to alleviate the suffering of all beings, to work for the welfare of all beings. And that's an incredibly supportive foundation for a human life. Incredibly supportive foundation for a human life. That whatever we encounter, whatever arises, whatever we face, whatever we do, can rest on the foundation of that intention. And bodhicitta is very much grounded in this interconnectedness we've been speaking about. In that conscious awareness that we are not apart from everything else. We are not separate from everything else. We are not alone. And it's seen, this quality of bodhicitta is seen as something really precious really, really precious. Something to treasure, to nourish, to protect, 
one way of thinking about it is like a flame, you know, like the flame of a candle. So we really, it's there in our heart-mind, and it guides us, and it also shines through us. And we protect it, and we nourish it, and it grows, it becomes stronger. And you know, in the tradition, this isn't the work of one lifetime. So it's fine to um, sometimes speak about this being babies on the body, on the bodhicitta path. So we just have a small light. And that's really fine. It's what we have. And we nourish it. And we look after it. And we can remember that whenever we prioritize compassion, when we cultivate wisdom, when we act for the welfare of any being, we're nourishing this. We're nourishing this bodhicitta in us. This is another Joanna Macy quote. She says, What helps us face this mess, which is the life of beings on planet Earth, is the knowledge that each of us has something significant to offer, a contribution to make. In rising to the challenges that are presented to us, we discover something precious that both enriches our lives and adds to the healing of our world. We discover the joy and beauty within the pain and the uncertainty. Like a pearl inside an oyster, it shines forth. We grow and we offer our gift to the world. Justice. So we discover... That joy and beauty come together with pain and uncertainty. Just like a pearl is created from the scarring of the oyster. And it shines and we grow and we offer our gift to the world. So we each have something significant to offer and it can take so many different forms. That's the beauty of diversity. So I'd like to close with Another story from from Anandar, from the leprosy community, which hopefully I'll be able to articulate clearly enough. So this community is really about diversity and just all the different manifestations of human bodies that are there. And one aspect of the community is that they have a school for, had it since the late 60s, for children with visual impairments. It's a very rural area. So 
and they have a school for children with visual impairments and it's a, it's a boarding school because it's a rural area and the families are poor and can't travel the distance on a daily basis. And it's taken us quite a while to find access to the visually impaired children. There's also a school for children with hearing impairments, and that's been much easier because the communication is easier. The visually impaired, because we don't speak the language fluently enough, it, it, it can be quite tricky, or it used to be. And I find from year to year, they, they touch me so deeply. And their kind of acceptance of, of who they are. And how that acceptance allows them to be, in many ways, unlimited. And sometimes, you know, you just see this small child with no sight whatsoever, just running, just running. And the whole body is full of joy. The whole body is full of aliveness. Because they're not being defined by what they can't do, which allows them to do it and, and somehow the joy is even more intense than in a child that can see. And that's kind of a bit of the, what, what she's speaking about. That the joy is there together, the beauty is there within the pain. And my favorite thing to do with them, which we do every year, and we actually do it with all the children together. So all the, I mean, there's about 250 of them all together. But we do the boys and the girls separate. <laughs> Is to make bracelets, which they love. And we bring a few kilos of glass beads from Delhi and stretchy wire from the West. And they make these little bracelets that then they tie on and they And we often don't know with the very little ones who's, who, who are there for the first time, we actually don't know how much visual capacity they have until we do this. You know, sometimes it looks like they don't see at all. And then we, we bring out the beads. <laughs> Suddenly, kind of all kinds of miracles happen. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna relish this story because I just I love I love it so much. So we always do it right at the end before we leave. It's like the treat, and they know. And so they'll come up to us and say, "Bracelet," <laughs> <laughs> from when we first arrived. So this year, there was um, a new little girl. She must have been six. Hadn't met before, and I was sitting with her when we were, we were doing this. And, you know, we put a bunch of beads in a plate and we give them the stretchy wire. 
and I was interested to see what she what she would be able to do. And she couldn't thread the beads onto the onto the string, but to the wire. But she would pick up a bead, and she would bring it up right into her eye. And then somehow she knew the colors in English. I don't know how she knew that. But she would shout out, Black! Didi! Didi means elder sister. Black! And then she would give it to me, and I would thread it on. And she'd pick up another one, right up into the Green! Didi! And there was no sense of preference. And there was just <coughs> the joy of the recognition and the ability. And a black, green, blue, red didn't matter. Just that. And that was the that was kind of the whole game. <laughs> the bracelet itself was kind of a, a different part. But that that ability to accept, you know, uncertainty, injustice, unfairness. The fact that if she had been born in this country, she wouldn't have had any impairment because she would have been operated on. She was a baby. None of that plays a part, and there's that full aliveness and, and a sense of nothing missing. You know, nothing missing at all. Yeah, the gifts, the gifts of uncertainty, the gifts of complexity, the gifts of life. All of it. You know, all of it. The possibilities and the potential. The good, the bad, the ugly, the wanted, the unwanted. And that capacity that we have to feel alive. To feel alive. Let's have just a quiet moment to bring this to a close. rest into the unknown nature of life. May we open to the infinite possibilities. May we find the joy and the beauty within the pain and the uncertainty of our lives. And may we nourish bodhicitta, every day, 
so that the flame of goodwill and of compassion continues to grow, to illuminate our own lives and the world we share.